0: My take from it is if the FDA can go out on a limb and approve a drug that has you know, some safety concerns, doesn't have clear benefit clinically, but has some hope based on the biomarker, if they're willing to approve that, then they should be willing to approve a drug that has demonstrated clinical benefit. <laughs>
1: everybody and welcome to another episode of Connecting ALS. I'm your co-host Jeremy Holden, joined again this week by Jessica Chapman. Jessica, thanks for being with us. I'm excited to chat with you this week.
2: Hey, Jeremy, it's so good to be with you again this week.
1: Yeah, July is upon us. It's hard to believe uh, we're creeping through the year and i um, already reached July. Uh, Jessica, do you have any 4th of July plans in your future?
2: Yes, hoping to spend some time with the family this weekend, eat some hot dogs and relax and watch some fireworks.
1: Yeah, Jessica, 4th of July, of course, an important time in the ALS community, the anniversary of Lou Gehrig's Luckiest Man Alive speech. Uh, We can share some resources to that in the show notes. But this week, Jessica, we are turning our attention to the drug development process. Dr. Patrizia Cavazzoni over at the FDA sending a letter to the ALS Association responding to the We Can't Wait hearing that was held several weeks ago. That letter coming at a time when the FDA is in the news for its decision to grant accelerated approval to Biogen's Alzheimer's drug. The ALS Association questioning why the sense of urgency around that drug and a continued struggle to try and get that sense of urgency around Amalix's Amex 35 and ALS drugs that have shown promise and of course, Janet Woodcock recently testified before Congress talking about the the need for additional research in the ALS space. So a lot going on. Uh, I feel like we just had conversations around drug development, Jessica, and here we are back again because things are happening quickly.
2: They are. They really, truly are. And so with so much to unpack, we had an opportunity to speak with Dr. Neil Thacker, the Chief Mission Officer of the ALS Association. And he was able to walk us through these various areas of import and talk through what they mean, what the impact is, and what's going to be occurring moving forward.
1: So why don't you and I get out of the way and we can turn it over to Dr. Thacker. Dr. Thacker, thank you for being with us this morning. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. There's been a lot of developments, even since the last time we here on Connecting ALS talked about drug development and the We Can't Wait hearing. Uh, Recently, the ALS Association received a response letter from FDA from Dr. Cavazzoni, who attended the We Can't Wait meeting. Uh, Dr. Thacker, what did we learn in the letter from FDA?
0: Well, I was very pleased to see a strong statement of support from Dr. Cavazzoni, about the fda's 2019 guidance for als clinical trials she she assured us that they're exercising the regulatory flexibility and they're working in accordance with with that guidance so i thought that was that was great uh, we we asked for more than just assurance so we asked for examples and evidence of how they've been doing so and they were were uh, not willing to give us any specifics instead they they referred to a a workshop that they uh, attended uh, that was conducted through Duke University, and I was also participating in that workshop. So there really wasn't any new information from us there. It could be that a lot of the trials that have been brought into being since the 2019 guidance are still underway. The reviews are still underway. So there's not a lot for her to talk about, but. I think we're going to have to pay a very close eye on this situation and see how things evolve. And we may need to ask for additional reporting and ask our friends in Congress to help get that, that clarity.
2: Dr. Thacker, you alluded to this in your just previous comment regarding the process to bring a drug to market through the FDA process. And you noted that there's some clinical trials still going on that start in 2015. Can you speak to a little bit more about what's
0: actually occurring so the guidance was approved in twenty in 2019, and in that guidance, they outlined the criteria of what they would consider to be a successful clinical trial result. And before 2019, the standard used to be a change in survival, so people who take the drug live longer. And the challenge with that is it means you have to run the trial for a long time to see that benefit. And so we wanted a way to run clinical trials faster and what the FDA and and a whole bunch of people from the ALS community and the association and scientists and people with ALS talked about was this um, ALS FRS, this functional rating scale, which can help determine when people's progress in the disease is changing its rate. So people could be progressing quickly and then those on the drug would progress slower than those not on the drug. And that in itself can be a sufficient primary outcome, a primary uh, endpoint to see if a drug is working or not working. And so since 2019, most ALS trials are now focusing on change in progression as an outcome because that's a faster way to run a clinical trial. Of course, faster trials mean faster results and then hopefully faster approvals. I'm glad you mentioned
1: faster approvals, Dr. Thacker. FDA has been in the news a bit in recent weeks after its decision to grant accelerated approval to uh, Biogen for its Alzheimer's drug, Aduhelm. Can you talk a little bit about FDA's decision there um, and particularly in light of the continued fight that the the ALS Association is leading uh, to get AMX 35 approved?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a complex situation. So in the the case of this this drug, Idohelm, it's been under study for for many years. They completed two phase three trials. Uh, These are the final stage uh, that you need to go through for FDA approval. These are the biggest clinical trials. They did two of them, and they found no clear clinical benefit. But what they did find was some change in a biomarker, which is not the disease itself, but the indicator of a disease, And they felt on the basis of that change in biomarker, uh, enough confidence to allow that drug to go to market, but not enough confidence to to approve it completely. Uh, And they're actually requiring Biogen to complete another study. And on the basis of that study, they may take the drug off the market some years down the road. There's another catch too, right? So there's a biomarker issue there's a clinical benefit issue. And then the third, of course, is safety. And in the case of this drug, they found some safety concerns in a significant number of patients. Uh, something like 40% of patients could experience some kind of brain swelling. And so not only do you have to take the, the, the drug itself, but then you need monitoring uh, to make sure you're not getting these, these side effects. We can contrast that with, you mentioned Amex 35 this is the amylox drug, where there have been no phase three clinical trials. They've only done phase two, uh, the intermediate trial. And I'm hoping, we're hoping that that can be the final trial based on the strength of the evidence. Because what we are seeing in that drug is clear evidence of clinical benefit. People who took the drug didn't get better, but they progressed slower than people not on the drug. And then they had, as a secondary outcome, Uh, something that the FDA didn't require. They saw evidence of people who took the drug also lived longer. And that second part of it, that biomarker, we didn't see any kind of biomarker results because there is no approved biomarker in the ALS space. We don't understand enough about the science to to link some biological indicator with disease state. And then the third part of it is, is the safety profile, and the safety profile was very strong. There, there were few side effects, the so side effects were mild. They weren't life-threatening, and if you stop taking the drug, they, they go away GI distress. So different drugs, different levels of data, but also very different findings. And so my take from it is if the FDA can go out on a limb and approve a drug that has you know, some safety concerns, doesn't have clear benefit clinically, but has some hope based on the biomarker, if they're willing to approve that, then they should be willing to approve a drug that has demonstrated clinical benefit. So to me, I'm taking that as a sign of hope. I think other people are taking it as a sign that the FDA is being too liberal, not strict enough, and they're approving things too quickly. Uh, But for us, for the ALS community, for folks who are facing a life-threatening disease, you gotta move as quickly as possible.
2: Dr. Thacker, let's move on to Dr. Janet Woodcock from the FDA, the FDA Commissioner. She recently testified in speaking with Senator Mike Braun about the need to advance ALS research. Can you touch on her testimony a little bit for our
0: listeners? So there were a few things there. First, I I really have to thank Senator Braun for bringing ALS issues uh, to the forefront. It's, It's really important that we have elected leaders like him who keep doing that. It's really important. And, and he was making it clear that we we need to see results in the ALS space and we need to see it quickly. And, and to that, Dr. Woodcock started talking about changes in the cancer field. And what she, she reminded Senator Braun in the Senate was that the war on cancer started in the 70s and they've been spending lots and lots of resources into that cancer field. And we're only starting to see lots of benefit in the past 10 years. So it took a 30-year ramp up to get to the the state of of care that we're seeing now in cancer. And she also pointed out in, in neuroscience, we're, we're not as far advanced. We don't understand why things happen the way that they do in ALS. And so it makes it much harder to find new treatments. It also makes harder, as I mentioned, to d- simply understand the disease process and to measure it accurately with biomarkers. And without those biomarkers, the, the drug development pathway is much more difficult. And so those fundamental issues about science are really important, and that's what's getting in the way of us getting to new treatments. And I mean, she's right. Uh, she's She is framing the issue accurately. I think part of the question is, what do we do about that, uh, given the knowledge that we have? So we, we have a couple of choices. Uh, one choice is we can just, focus on getting that science down and so we can get to the point where cancer is today. And that does mean we spend decades doing that basic science, working on how the brain works, how neurons work, how they die, developing those biomarkers and really investing heavily in that space. And actually the NIH is doing that uh, quite well. And our the investment the federal government has been making in that science has gone up dramatically since the ice bucket challenge in part because of research from funded by philanthropies from, you know, groups like ours, getting more energy into that space. But that's not enough. That's not fast enough. So to make the whole process faster, one of the things we have to do is just fund more clinical trials, get them going, get them, get them approved or get them to fail really quickly so we can move on to the next potential treatment. We've identified at least 11 new genes since the Ice Bucket Challenge. It could be more than that. Each gene is a new uh, treatment target. We've understood more about how cells work and how they die and how they're not functioning right. And those are multiple disease targets as well. They all need to be tested. They need to be tested in animals, and if successful, they need to be tested in people through multiple rounds of clinical trials. That's how we got, you know, drugs like the Amelix drug and, and others that are under study. I think part of what we can get to in in short term over the next few years the next 10 years or so are multiple drugs that have a modest benefit imagine a drug like rylizol with its few months of extra lifespan in combination with a drug like amelix which adds maybe 6 months of lifespan with another drug which adds another 6 months and so on and so on and so on and eventually that cocktail approach starts to have a meaningful change in the course of disease, we can really think about making ALS livable. And so to do that, we not only need new drugs, but we need to study how they work together. So this cocktail metaphor is really important. It's where you take a bunch of different ingredients and you mix them together with precision to get something that's working differently than each of those ingredients taste by themselves. And it, it does take precision. It takes finesse. And if you're working in a new space, you're making up your own drink. It takes a bit of experience as well. And so, not only do we need to do the research on developing the individual drugs, but we need to do the research to understand how these new drugs work together.
1: Dr. Thacker, you mentioned new drugs in the ALS space, and one that is brought up often is neuron. What can you tell us about where we are, what we know, and kind of the, the status of neuron? association gets questions from time to time why it's less aggressive promoting Neuron versus um, other drugs that are in diff- various phases of development. So what's going on there?
0: Yeah, that that's a great question. We haven't seen all the data for Neuron. And, you know, I've seen lots of very exciting things on the internet, but the company that's the trial sponsor has not released data that support, that validate those experiences that people are reporting. We haven't been able to see the graphs, see the statistics that I can use to go to the FDA and say, look, this is happening the way we want it to be happening. And this is something that you need to move on. We just don't have that data yet. So I spoke to one of the the authors of a paper, the the paper presenting the next next round of results on Monday, I believe it was, and it's under review. So I want to see that paper and once I see that paper, if it has all the data, if they have the supplemental data, if they have the graphs that show the outliers, where there could be real benefit, uh, if they have all that data, then we have something that we can use to make a very strong case. But without that data, we, we just can't make that case. We, we, will, we won't be able to talk with, with credibility uh, with, with scientists and clinicians.
2: So... Knowing all that we know, all that has happened recently, where do we go from here?
0: Well, I think there's a couple of things we need to do. One is we do need to watch very carefully to see what happens with the FDA and with Amelix on this drug, because they have been very public about the data from that trial. They've released multiple peer-reviewed publications. They've released supplemental data. We've been able to have independent reviewers look at that data and give us their assessment of that data. And so I'm feeling confident that getting that drug approved will be the right thing for the ALS community, even though it's only phase two data and it's not as conclusive as having multiple phase three trials. So we're going to have to see if the FDA actually follows through the way that we hope they will. We've been meeting with them. Our CEO, Kalanit Balas, has been meeting with them along with uh, other clinicians to talk about this drug, to talk about ALS medical care in general and to make sure they understand how serious this issue is. They seem to see that, but to make sure we had a really wonderful meeting a few weeks ago that you referred to this action session where we had people from ALS share their perspectives about if they're willing to take a drug and then it turns out not to have the effect we hope and how they weigh that risk benefit and we had people from the FDA attending that meeting and again they seem to feel it not only understand it intellectually, but understand emotionally how how challenging the situation is. So those are all good news, but what we really need is action. And so we need to see if there's going to be action happening. And I, I got my, I'm hearing some positive things informally, and so we'll see how things um, move over the summer, but that's that's the regulatory front. And if things don't go well, or even if they do go well, we're working on two separate pieces of legislation specifically for the FDA. So one is the Act for ALS, which gives the FDA additional research money. Uh, So if they feel like there's some scientific challenge that's getting in the way of getting ALS drugs approved, they have the ability to do that research themselves. Uh, It also gives money for expanded access programs. So if we do have promising drugs that are in this regulatory process and they can't finish yet, the the government can step in and help provide access, even while the drug is still experimental. On top of that, we have the Promising Pathways Act, which which Senator Braun, as I mentioned, sponsored. And this is a way to give the FDA new authority to approve drugs faster. And We'll we'll see if the FDA really says they want to approve a drug like AMOX, but they can't under the current rules, then we have one bill, a Promising Pathways Act, that could give them the regulatory authority to approve it, and it would be really great to get them to give their endorsement to that bill, if that's what's getting in the way. On top of that, we've been working with Congress to make sure the FDA is fully funded and fully staffed. They need people to do this work for ALS to pay attention to ALS. And I don't want to hear, we're understaffed, we're busy, we're overwhelmed, COVID has taken all the people away as an excuse for not getting things approved. So we have to make sure that that's happening. And we've had a really strong response from our um, advocacy conference. And so it does seem like people are hearing that message. And I, I'm, I'm very pleased about that. And we also got some really good news this week, where the House Appropriations Committee approved $5 million for the FDA to have additional research for ALS through their orphan drug program. We asked for 50. We've never asked for any money before and we got five. So it's nowhere near what we hoped for, but it's it's five more million than we had before. And that's positive momentum. And when things go to the Senate, we're gonna keep asking for the full 50 and see what we can get. So we're making progress there as well. That's all the policy part. The science part is even more important. What's what's most important is we get new drugs, and when we get new drugs, we fold them in carefully and deliberately into the existing array of treatments for people with ALS. That means we need to keep focusing on running clinical trials fast, and we need to keep focusing on how care is delivered, and we are doing that.
1: From the sound of things, you are keeping yourself very busy this summer. So we do appreciate you stopping by to update listeners on all the things that are going on. Dr. Neil Thacker, thanks for being with us today.
0: Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Jessica.
2: Thank you, Dr. Thacker. It was wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much for walking us through not only the FDA letter in response to the We Can't Wait meeting, but also Dr. Woodcock's testimony, what we'll be doing as an organization moving forward to help make ALS a livable disease and so much more that will be going on in the near future. A lot of exciting things that'll be coming about.
1: Yeah, a lot of work being done and a lot of work remaining to be done in the fight to bring treatments to people with ALS. Uh, So hopefully many more conversations with Dr. Thacker and. folks in the research world to come that is going to do it for this week's episode of connecting ALS you can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts and while you're there please make sure to rate and review us it is a great way for us to find even new listeners and connect with even more people this week's episode was produced by Garrett Tiedemann of the ALS Association's Minnesota North Dakota South Dakota chapter thanks for tuning in we'll connect with you again soon